I know this is the most exciting time of the year for all of you. Stewardship. Money. We had to turn people away at the door, so you're lucky you all got tickets. <laughs> you know, you always hear that you should never talk about three things with people. You should never talk about money, you should never talk about religion, and you should never talk about politics. Well, I'm not going to talk about politics today. <laughs> but you know, if you can't talk about these things at church, where can you talk about them at? So, I'm going to talk about money today. I mentioned in the mirror this month that I've been rereading this book. It's called The Soul of Money. It's not a religious book, although I believe the writer is, is very much religious, but she's not a theologian. She's a, actually a fundraiser, and she's an activist. And she uh, has written a lot of wonderful things in this book, and I'm going to use a lot of it uh, over the next few weeks. Um, it's time that we talk about money, not just how and why you should pledge, but really talk about what money means to us down deep in our soul. It's easy to say that Jesus told us to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God, but nothing was clearly said about how you determine that. Sure, we were taught to bring a tithe, a tenth of all that we have, but then again, how do we really interpret that? There are loads of books on how to preach stewardship sermons, but no matter how you do it, it it's just all comes down to the same thing, and that's money. And what does that money mean? So I began reading this book, and I thought, wow, this is important stuff. How our very soul is tied to, to money. And so I decided that I would share it with you this month. Lynn Twist, the writer of this book, uh, is introduced to a community deep in the Amazon rainforest who have for thousands of years existed, but they've never, ever dealt with money. They are <clears throat> a community called, I hope I'm saying it right, a Kuar. They built dwellings, they raised families, they ate meals, they existed very comfortably as a community without using any sort of money. Reciprocity was their currency. Everyone shared. Everyone took care of each other. When they needed a home, they all helped build it. If one killed a wild boar, they all feasted. If someone was injured, or ill, they all cared for them. Currency as we know it wasn't needed. No one had more than the next. In the 70s, however, missionaries entered into their community <laughs> and soon after that, within another decade or so, the rainforest became very desired People wanted to strip the land for the trees. They wanted the plants. They wanted to do um, various entertainment things in the rainforest. And this community 
became frightened and became unknowing of how to respond. Oil companies wanted to come in and drill on their land and offered them a large amount of money that they didn't understand. And so the elders and the leaders of this community brought in Lynn and a couple of other people to ask them to help them figure this out. And so one of the things they did was to send a young, skilled, uh, a cure man um, who was a warrior to America to learn about money and trade. But before he could come, he had to learn English, and then he had to learn about money. And that was one of the hardest things to learn. Chumpy began to see how it is in America that virtually everything in our lives, every choice we make, from the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the houses we live in, the schools we attend, the work we do, the future we dream about, whether we marry or not, whether we have children or not, how you're physically cared for with insurance and medical, and even matters of love influence everything because of money. Money is at the root of all of that. It didn't take Chumpy long to see that he and his people now had this relationship with money and that money had not only meaning but had power. If they wanted to save the rainforest, they needed to understand that power and how money was valued by people. They needed to use the power of money clearly and consistently to serve their highest goal, which was to protect the rainforest and manage its resources to support a sustainable future for this community. That story very quickly jumped out at me. We find ourselves in the middle of this community that we call church. And we want to think that money really shouldn't determine what we do. Wouldn't it be great if it didn't? But it does. We should want to take care of people and we should want to love people and we should want to minister to people and it should be pretty simple, but it's not. This building requires money to keep it standing. We have to pay utilities so we can have air conditioning and heat and water. You pay the staff so that we can live. And as much as we would like to believe that money has nothing to do with it, you and I both know it has a lot to do with church. Money is a big part of our soul. And I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but what we believe really is how we show it with money. Remember the passage in Matthew, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money's not a product of nature. Money doesn't grow on trees. Pennies don't rain down from heaven. Money is an invention, a distinctly human invention. We made it up, we manufacture it, it's a whole industry in itself. My oldest brother during college worked for the Federal Reserve and his only job every day was to bundle money to be burned. 
every night. To prepare these bags for money to just be destroyed because money had to be taken out of circulation when they put new money in. Money was invented to facilitate the sharing and the exchange of goods and services among individuals and groups of people. We've gotten to a place in our world where rather than relating to money as a tool, we created and control. Instead, we've come to relate to money as, it, as if it is a fact of nature, a force to be reckoned with. And we need to get to a point that we understand money has only the power that we assign to it. And right now, we've assigned a lot of power to it. So how do we take all of this knowledge of money and bring it into this place? A big part of our role here in this community is the same as it was for that Akura community. To recognize that the power of money and use that power to clearly and consistently serve our highest goal. And what is our highest goal? Being Christ in the world. Being Christ every day, every minute, every step we take. As I read this Second Timothy passage, I'm reminded that we are entrusted with much. This faith that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. This table that has been prepared for churches all around the world. This faith that sadly is beginning to be lost. Fewer and fewer people are seeking that close relationship with God that sustains and fulfills. And with that, organizations all around the world are in need. They're in need of help, they're in need of money, they're in need of time, they're in need of energy. I'm afraid that the church as a whole is losing that passion that we've had in the past. That passion for Christ that generations before us have held strong. I had the opportunity last week to hear a woman, her name is Sue Phillips. She is a researcher at Harvard University. And she is working on a research project on millennials and faith. Some of the things that she shared with us at that meeting frightened me a lot. 3,500 churches have closed their door in the last year. 3,500 in the United States have closed their door in the last year. Why? Because they, for whatever reason, could not sustain. Whether that be money, whether that be people, they could not keep going. In contrast to that, there were about a thousand church starts in the last year. That doesn't balance very well, does it? 2.7 million church members fell into inactivity in the last year. 
We know some of them, don't we? We know some of them. I hear it a lot. We're just going to step back a little. We've been going hard. We're going to take a step back. What that means is we're not going to church anymore. So how do we, the church of 2019, or really the church of 2020, this church in Austin, on this street, balconies, in the midst of Highland Hills, how do we take all that we've been entrusted with like 2 Timothy tells us, to guard the good treasure entrusted us? How do we take this faith that we embrace and this God that we worship and this church that we love and the money we've been entrusted with and our very souls, how do we, with all the passion we can muster, how do we step into 2020 and be the church that God called us to be? Now, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here because I look around and you all are the ones who are here faithfully every Sunday. I guess at this point in the sermon, I'm supposed to have all the answers and tell you what we're going to do. And I'm guessing you think the easy answer is that you need to give money. That's not what I'm saying today. I wish it was that easy. But the answer is that each one of us must search our hearts and must spend some time in our relationship with God figuring out what that treasure is in our life and how we are going to use that treasure that's been entrusted to us. We come to this table this morning, this table so beautifully decorated by Kay, this table that represents people all around the world who are dealing with these same questions, who are dealing with the same concerns, but they come to this table knowing that it was prepared for us, knowing that Christ gave his life, so that we could be here today, so that we could be in this world, so that we can muster the passion to be Christ in our world. And so we come to the table today, today remembering all of the people in the world gathering together, but also coming to individually receive that gift that Christ gave us and to remember the importance of that gift.